Welcome to episode 270 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about the world of writing and publishing. I'm Valerie Koo, CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses, useful resources, and an awesome supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, who was attempting to sing a jingle for this podcast just before I hit record. She's the author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cypher book series. How are you, Al? I'm a much better writer than I am a singer of jingles. I think we can just all basically take <laughs> no, that on you are board. pretty good. You are pretty good at both, I would say. Right. Yes. Well, um, how am I? I'm okay. You're okay. Actually, okay. do you know what? I'm actually a little bit excited. Okay, why? Like a moment of excitement, not like Go a on. massive excitement, but a moment of excitement. Well, I'm giving away some books, so Excellent. I feel like I should share the joy of that. Share the joy. Um, Okay, I'm sharing the joy. So I'm giving away copies of the US edition of – or signed copies. Signed. Yes, yes. Um, of the US editions of the Adaban Cypher novels. So one signed copy of the Book of Secrets, one signed copy of the Book of Answers, and um, – the competition is being run through the Your Kids Next Read Facebook group. So all you have to do is look us up there and join us and leave your comment. And uh, I'll put the link in the show notes to the book if you would like to join in the exciting giveaway. I just thought it was quite a nice segue from last week when we were talking about the various options of, you know, US covers versus yes. uh, Australian covers and, you know, yada, 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 all that kind of stuff. So yeah. anyway, so that's my there, there you go. There's my whoosh, moment of excitement. Woo-hoo. I love it. Okay, so we'll put the link in the show notes, which you can find at so you want to be a writer.com.au. And what else is happening in the world of Owl? Just a lot of school. And I don't yeah, mean that's right. for me. I just mean that's, you know, like it's we're kind of all back into into the uh, into the routine of it all. And of course, my youngest son. Mr. 12 has started high school. So Ooh. we're not only are we doing school, but we're doing, and it is a, I have to say we, like I know parents, people got roll their eyes. It's like, dude, you're not in year seven. No, but I actually feel like I am because mm-hmm. trying to get this kid organized mm-hmm. requires daily discussion mm-hmm. as to what's been done, what needs to be done, what has to go in the bag, what's got to come out of the bag. And, you know, he's just outraged that he has to sit at a desk and write for all of these, all this time. Like he's just like, all we do is write stuff, mum. I'm like, yep, that will be school for you. So it's um, it's just that adjustment period. And he had he had year seven camp last week, which was, you know, pretty hilarious all round. Uh, lots of little boys trying to put up tents and that kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, he survived <laughs> that. And so it's, you know, and the next thing we got to get through is a swimming carnival. And then it's yes. just this ongoing saga well, for the next six years. I know that there's <laughs> something that you're doing that doesn't involve school. What's that? What am I doing? Well, we are both speaking at the Squibby Conference oh, we are. next and week. I, gosh, I cannot tell you how much I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> I really am. So not only do I get to go and hang out with a bunch of, you know, great writers and illustrators and yes. Valerie Koo, let's face it, that's a highlight <laughs> for me, um, but I get to leave home for, oh, yes. for a night to do it it's so fun someone else will have to manage Monday which is great so yeah no I'm really looking forward to that and uh, we're all ready to go we've got our PowerPoint presentation ready to roll right and well in case there are some new listeners who don't know what Squibby is perhaps you can expand on that Al 
Uh, so it's the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, and they have chapters all around the world. Um, and this is the Australian chapter having its conference. They have a biannual conference. Um, and, you know, it's everyone gets together and has and discusses, you know, the industry where it's at, get to meet people, get to learn stuff, get to talk about writing endlessly, can't personally wait. Um and of course, there's, I think I believe there is a buffet lunch, which is always a <laughs> highlight for me as well. <laughs> well, you know, when you're eating cheese toasties every day, it's pretty exciting. Um, so, you know, it's just a great opportunity. I, I just really, really love an opportunity to go and just, you know, immerse myself in the whole business for um, for, for days or at a day. And then, of course, you come home and back into school lunches. Woo-hoo. Yes. <laughs> I actually think it's a really great conference. It's one of definitely one of the better ones around. It's really well curated, really well organised. Um, we're actually the opening speakers, aren't we? I know we're like the opening act. The opening. <laughs> I, I feel like <laughs> no pressure. Alison will be <laughs> singing with her feather boa. I will singing, dancing, and talking to people about how to build your profile as an author and sell more books isn't that that's what we're doing isn't it that's our talk yeah yes it's going to be amazing so it'll be basically Val and I talking about stuff which is and and possibly I may break into song I can't guarantee that I won't break into song um but you know the likelihood is fairly limited but we'll see (laughs) all right so that's next week in Sydney and if you're going to be at the Squibby conference then make sure you come up and say hi it'll be great to connect in real life it will Hmm. So let's see what's happening in the world of writing and publishing. Well, there's a lot happening, but we've just, you know, well, one thing that's happening is the uncorrected proof copy of Matthew Riley's new book has landed on my desk. So I'm very keen to get my teeth into that because it's always a rollicking good ride, anything Matthew Riley writes. And um, hopefully we'll get him on the podcast soon. Absolutely. And you know what I read this week? Let's talk about that for a minute. I've I've read a few. Like I'm actually on a roll at the moment. I'm reading like about three books a week at the moment. Wow. Um, I don't know where when I'm doing that. Don't ask me when I'm doing that because I don't actually even know. Um, but I read Bryn McDibble's new book, which is called The Dog Runner. Um, she, of course, mm. won the children's, uh, the CBCA uh, Book of the Year Award for Younger Readers last year with her book How to Be. Um, mm. And I have to say that this one is also a cracker an absolute cracker, and um, I am looking forward to um, talking to Bryn for the podcast as well. So we've got we've actually got some really exciting interviews coming up, and I hope yes. everybody's, you know, on the edge of their seat waiting for that. Yes, on the edge of their seat. All right, <laughs> let's move on to our competition this week. Our competition is you have a chance to win three, one of three copies of Mr. Bambuckle's Remarkables on the Lookout by Tim Harris, illustrated by James Hart. And make sure you check out our interview with Tim. Uh, You can either look in um, the archives of this podcast or if you want children's books, uh, children's books, authors galore, go to our Magic and Mayhem podcast. So that's a pop-up podcast. All you need to do is search for Magic and Mayhem on iTunes and you should find it. And it's just only picture book authors, children's book authors, and young adult authors. But Mm. Tim Harris is one of the most exciting children's authors in Australia. His second series, Mr. Bambuckle's Remarkables, contains his trademark quirkiness mixed with a touch of poignancy. On the Lookout is the latest book, Australia's Favourite Teacher is Back, but has Mr. Bambuckle met his 
greatest challenge yet. So we encourage you or your kids to enter this giveaway. Go to writerscentercomau slash win and follow the instructions. Entries close on the 25th of February. So that's writerscentercomau slash win. Now, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? <laughs> oh, I'm so ready, Val. Good. Really, really ready. Good. So, lambent. That's L-A-M-B-E-N-T. Lambent. Do you know mm-hmm. that word? Do you no. know that word? No. Have you I don't know that word. I know. I don't know that word. Well, just, you know, because like every time I see this word, I think of that song from Me and My Girl. Do you know that song? Doing the Lambeth Walk. Oi! I do know the song. That's about as much of the song as I know. <laughs> I could not sing you any more of the song than that. And I don't even know why I know it. I don't, why would I know that? Everyone knows it. Do they? <laughs> Does everyone? Okay, here's a question. I love it when people talk in generalizations. Does everyone know that song? If you don't know that song, please let us know. <laughs> but if you do know that song, let us know too. So my stepbrother, he lives in London and he moved. I said, where did you move to? And he goes, Lambeth Walk. So all I can do now is sing the song around him. Doing the Lambeth Walk. Oi! He must be so excited to see you. <laughs> like, really? Because yeah. that wouldn't get boring at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> all right, because this the word lambent has nothing to do with that song according to the Macquarie Dictionary lambent means running or moving lightly over a surface and it comes from the Latin word for to lick describing how a flame flickers gently over a surface so you might refer to the lambent tongues of flame Mm, Mm. the lambent tongues of flame sounds like some kind of random prog rock pop you know group it's so true actually yeah I, I really feel like the lambert tongues of flame could have a number one song yes. anytime soon on I triple j that's so right that's so right yeah. all right let's move on to our writer in residence this week it's me it's me wait i'm here i'm talking yes it's me um our writer in residence this week well i was wondering i was wondering if you're going to go on with that and then there was just a pause about the lambent um, tongues of flame no, about the, about our writer in residence. Anyway, oh. <clears throat> our writer in residence this week is the fabulous Penny Flanagan. Now, Penny Flanagan comes from a very, very creative family. Her father very. is John. Her sister is Kitty. Mm. She herself um, was a member of the critically acclaimed uh, pop group Club Hoy, or and and still remains. Mm. They've started gigging again, which is a bit exciting. Um, so she's a songwriter. She writes a, a, a whole range of different things as a freelancer. She's got a very, very funny, um, funny voice uh, for her uh, for her freelance writing, etc. And she has um, so many years ago, she wrote a couple of YA novels, and now she's back with a new novel for adults um, called Surviving Hell, which is a kind of it's a really interesting look at the internal dynamics of family um, and a particularly odious character. And it's um, it's a really interesting book. So we had a talk about, you know, the big gap between her books. We talked about what it's like to come from a um, some from such a creative family and we had a bit of a laugh, really, we, we, we did. So here's Penny Flanagan. Penny Flanagan is an Australian writer and musician. She is the author of three novels, Changing the Sky, Sing to Me, and now Surviving Hal, recently released through Puncher and Watman. Welcome to the program, Penny Flanagan. Thank you. All right. So your first book was published 
way back in the eons of 1993 and was a YA book. How did that novel come to be published? So I I wrote it in a, like I started it in a creative writing course, just one of those, you know, continuing education things and was encouraged by the tutor. Um, when it came to getting it published, I think I sent it, I just sent it to Slush Piles and I sent out the first one and it came back pretty quickly with some pretty brutal feedback like, you know, no page-turning impetus. Ooh, <laughs> so, that hurts. I always get that. And um, and so I was really upset about it and I showed my dad. And dad hadn't had a book published by that stage. But he, he told me a story about a writer. I can't remember who the famous writer was who had just made a list of all the publishers, you know, basically who existed, sent his book out and just as the – as the rejections come back, he said, you just cross cross it off and just move on to the next one. And that way you're just sort of moving through a list. It's not personal. It just becomes this task that you're getting through. And that really just changed my whole mindset. So I had a list of seven publishers and every time a rejection came back, I just went, okay, cross it off, move to the next one. Um, and I think I was down to the last two on the list when I got a phone call from I think it was Hodder and Stoughton saying they were going to publish it. So it was like I sort of created this methodical process for dealing with rejection, <laughs> basically. All right, and we should probably explain at this point that your dad is John Flanagan, who is the yes. um, internationally best-selling author now of the Rangers Apprentice Brother Band and other assorted books. So clearly an excellent source of advice from yes, that perspective. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> Thanks, exactly. Dad. That was great. <laughs> All right, so that book is published and then your second book came out in 1998 um, and now here we are 20 years later and your third book, Surviving Hal, is is coming to us um, on the shelves. So have you been writing manuscripts the whole time or is writing something that, you know, as a creative person, because as I said, you are Mm. a musician and we're also going to talk about that in a minute, is it something that you kind of dip in and out of or... Or is it something you work on all the time or, or you know, like what's what's the story with that? I think what happens is with music and writing, when I was doing music and writing at the same time, doing the two things in tandem, it was a dip out, dip in, dip out thing and it was, again, a way of dealing with rejection. So the two worlds are pretty brutal. You know, mm. the music industry is just brutal. Uh, The publishing world is pretty brutal as well. So it was kind of a way of me going, okay, well, if music isn't working, I'll go over here and do this for a while and just put that aside. And then when this doesn't work, I'll just go over here and do music for a while. Is that your dog? Is that Procrastopop? Can you hear Procrastopop barking in the background? (laughs) I I know. I was just slightly distracted there. Okay, so it's something that you work on, you know, in tandem. tandem. um, Because I was going to ask you about this because the process of those two – I mean, so let, let's explain again that you are one half of the successful folk duo Club Hoy who, who you know, were critically acclaimed and um, had quite a lot of success um, at one stage and are now you're now back together and performing again, which is brilliant. Um, but, you know, songwriting, that very, you know, short form and then novel writing, do you feel like they're two entirely different skills or are there crossovers? There are crossovers. Um they're kind of, I'd sort of say they are uh, symbiotic. So songwriting is just pure, a pure expression from your subconscious. 
you don't even think about it and it's just it's just an instinct and if you think about it too much and try and craft it too much for me you just lose it like the the song just slithers away and you can never get it back mm. so it's almost like just receiving a message from the ether and and the process of songwriting is just sitting it's almost like mindfulness it's just sitting with a feeling and just allowing yourself to feel it completely and then expressing that in a melody and lyric. So it's like this really pure creative expression that you don't control, whereas prose is, you know, you can work with words, you can move sentences around, you can move the full stop, you can just spend so much time crafting it, which I just love. And so I kind of love the two things in tandem. Okay, so you don't draft songs, so to speak. Oh, God, no. Right, so it's just like I'm going to sit here and... Do you start with words or start with music when you write a song? You start with a feeling. Right. So the feeling might be a melody. Sometimes the feeling is a phrase and you're looking for the melody that goes with the phrase. Um, so it's like it's just so intuitive you can't even um, you can't even break it down into components. You can't teach it. Like people always try and used to try and get me to teach songwriting at workshops and you just like you've either got it or you don't to be honest yeah okay so um I've lost totally now I'm so lost in the world of songwriting I've completely lost (laughs) what I was going to talk about um no I haven't so when you write a novel does it do you start your novels in the same way are you someone who create who who, I, I I'm you said you know you could you can craft it and edit and go back and things like that but are you someone who starts with an idea and starts writing or are you someone who plots the whole thing out before you start? So I start with a voice. So I guess in that way it's similar to songwriting. Um, so I start with, yeah, the voice of the novel is where it starts for me and then filling that out around, you know, what's the plot that goes with that and how can you, you know, how can you find a story that fits with that voice? And so in the early, the first book I wrote, was very much just I was writing like a well I was writing the way I would write a song mm-hmm. so each chapter was a feeling and the voice just kind of filled it out and I knew where I was going but it was quite intuitive which is why I can I think what I've learned is plot <laughs> over three books because I was very approaching it the same way as songwriting for the first two books right and then when I got to this one I thought I don't want to get lost in the story again the way I did with the first two and I don't want that feedback of no plot turning you know no page turning (laughs) just again (laughs) I want pull through you know yeah so uh I again I asked dad what his you know best tip for plotting was and he has a diagram that he works with and he showed me the diagram and it's basically the same as a script writing arc right three acts yeah and the the big high point climax actually comes in the middle of the third act yeah so I would have like I was kind of thinking it has to come in the middle of the book but it actually comes quite late so I plotted surviving hell out quite strictly based on a diagram of how things were going to progress which made it much easier to write okay that's interesting yeah well, let's talk about Surviving How because I've read the book and I would have to say that you have created a very, very unlikable character in this particular book, <laughs> which of course is the point because, you know, Hal needs to be survived. I feel like Hal needs to be survived for the reader as well as for every character in the book. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about it? And But also, like I was reading it and thinking to myself, 
you know, because, you know, as an author, you live with those characters for a mm. very, very long time, you know, in your head, through the editing process, through the proofreading. And I'm just wondering what it was like to, what it felt like to bring that character to life. I think when I was, it was pretty th- cathartic um, because he's based on a real person. Wow. That's and pretty I, scary, really. It's really scary. And when I was writing it, I did think, oh, people are going to think that he's not bad enough. Like I actually thought people are not going to be horrified enough by this character. So I thought people would tell me, well, he's not that bad. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So I have been really surprised by how shocked and appalled people are by this character. Mm. So... I think, I think it's possibly mission accomplished. I think I it most certainly is. Critic. Yeah, and I think Without, it's yeah. Sorry, I think it's partly because everybody's met some variation on this man. Like not maybe not all of him rolled into the one person, but I I think that people might react to him as they do because there are things about him that you will recognise from people around you, and I'm wondering if that's you know partly what the reaction might be yes a lot of people have said yeah I you know I feel like I've met this guy and I I know that feeling of I wanted it to have that feeling of you know how women are just continually told not to speak up and not to react to someone like that yes so my sort of arc was around Nell continually being told don't react don't react don't react yeah until it kind of comes out and you know yeah the consequence yeah. Of bottling up something like that. Yes, as, as everyone does. So as far as then living with the character, were there times when you just thought, I just need to get this guy out of my head? No, because... <laughs> no, okay. That wasn't the expected I know, answer. I know, It's so... I think because he's based on a real character and I I lived sort of a lot of that at the time and everyone around that character made you feel like this was normal. So I think I got kind of almost gaslighted in a way into thinking this isn't that bad. Yeah. So that when I was writing it, I thought it was funny and I didn't take into account that it would be very shocking for other people. Right. Okay, because I guess that's what we do, isn't it? You can, and, and that is actually, you know, you even address that within the novel when you look back on it in hindsight you make it into a funny story because Mm. that's the way to deal with it isn't it yeah yeah Yeah. okay well that was actually a question I was going to ask you too because when you you work um as a freelance writer and you write a lot of articles and often that freelance writing has um, a strong comedy voice like it's a you know it's a very sort of funny satirical sardonic kind of take on on normal life um so that's obviously something that you explore within your fiction as well Yes, and particularly with this book, I think what I wanted to do is I wanted to write in my own natural voice, Mm. uh, which was almost going back to my YA novel was very much, you know, me as a 12-year-old and I just so enjoyed writing in that voice and I felt like it was really representative of of me. Mm. Whereas with Sing to Me, it was kind of this, I kind of went into this literature kind of, you know, dreamy, almost trying to copy Helen Garner kind of thing Mm. that wasn't really representative of who I am as a person because I'm a bit lighter than that. So I really wanted it to be, yeah, a really colloquial 
voice on the page as opposed to a literary kind of voice, if that makes sense. That does make sense. Um, so you also said that, you know, that the book was inspired by a, a family wedding, by a, car- a person that you knew, but it is not about that wedding or, you know, that person per se. Now, your own family are a very creative and successful bunch. Like, as we mentioned, your dad is John Flanagan, your sister is Kitty. How do you think that impacts on your own work coming from that sort of background? Um, it's It's pretty inspiring and it also means that, this is what I think a real job is. So I never. <laughs> <laughs> so I have never thought like the thought of going and working in an office and sitting in a cubicle to me is just that's like failure to me. So it makes me think that this is normal, right? Which is great, right? And then spending a lot of time with Kitty is just feeds into everything I do like we're just constant you know when you're on tour with a comedian it's it's a lot of time spent in vans Mm. just sort of talking rubbish talking about (laughs) ideas do you know what I mean like so you just get to do all that kind of talking about what do you think of this idea what do you think of that idea so it's really it's fertile I guess is what I would say yeah and how do you make it all work from the perspective of, you know, like, as you say, you, you don't work in a in a, um, an office per se, but you do have a day job in the sense that you're writing, uh, you're working as a freelance writer. You also have a family. How do you make all these different, I mean, because, you know, musicians generally work at night. How do you <laughs> carve out the time for, you know, for a, a purely creative project like writing a novel, which is, you know, purely a speculative thing? Yeah, <clears throat> I know. I don't know how I do it each time, but somehow I just, I actually don't know. Right. I just kind of. Uh, so you don't have a routine, you don't have a, you know, there's not sort of like, I get up at five and write for two hours, Alison. <laughs> None of that? Um, it's dip in, dip out. Right. It's when I, and I find that because I've, I've got an idea for a book at the moment and every time I get pulled into it, it's just so all or nothing for me. Like uh, I get c- completely consumed by a book, right. which I guess everyone does. But in the way that I can't go, okay, well, I'll write the book on Fridays because once I start, I just can't stop. So I have to be really careful about when I start. Otherwise, I, I literally start hemorrhaging money when I think about writing a book. Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, you do, don't you? Because there's all those hours that you spend doing that that you're not actually – you know, actively. Yeah, and I find it really hard to earning switch on. income. Yeah. So the last thing I did was um, I wrote a short story. I thought I'll just set myself a, a small goal that's achievable. Um, and so I wrote a, I think it was a 5,000-word short story to enter into a competition. And I wrote it when I was in Adelaide with Kitty um, at the festival. So we had two weeks in Adelaide, mm-hmm. just sitting in a hotel room, usually doing nothing. So I thought I'll just set myself that task. And that was like a really intensive period of just working on this one piece of writing and just working on it every day. And I loved it. I just, and that's probably the last time I kind of really threw myself self in and um, got totally absorbed by it. But how many hours a day would you do it? Like, I mean, let's, let's just look at like, a, let's imagine that you're going to start your new novel, um, this new idea that you have, you're going to start on Monday. What's gonna yeah. what's what's that gonna look like from there? Um, it's gonna be start in the morning. Morning is the best time for me. If I mm. leave it to the afternoon, I just don't do it. So mm. just start in the morning before I do anything. Don't think about any. Don't answer emails. Don't do anything. Just put everything aside and try and hit a word count. 
Right. So you set yourself a word count for, for on a yeah. daily, daily basis. Okay. And how many words would you aim for to do in on a daily basis? I think ideally 2,000, but generally about 1,000. Anywhere yeah. between 1,000 and 2,000 I think is doable. Yep. And then yeah. so once you've hit that word count, that's when you move on to other things? Yeah, just move okay. on. Yeah. But okay. I, you have to do it at the same time every day, I think. Yeah, okay. Um, now let's just talk about the performing versus writing aspect of your life because, you know, one of the things that most writers will tell you is that what they like about writing is the fact that they can sit in their office and they don't have to speak to anyone and they certainly <laughs> don't have to stand up in front of people and sing at yeah. all. Um, yep. Whereas you've got that side of your personality and obviously of your, you know, creative makeup um, as well as the writing side. So how do you, how do you find those things? Like do you, um, when you're performing as a, as a singer, is it a completely different thing to say you had to get up and give an author talk or something like that? Totally different. <laughs> okay. Completely different. Almost uh, performing music for me is like an alter ego. Okay. And it's like my best self is up there. Right. That's when I feel like I'm my best self. Right. I don't know if it's because I started early and I did so much of it. Yeah. I just feel really good at it right that sounds that sounds up myself I, I feel no, no, good it, no it, it yeah. doesn't sound up yourself it sounds <laughs> like you know like it sounds like a level of confidence that you've achieved over confident. many yeah. years of of doing it so that makes a difference um but but is there a level of um is there a level of extroversion in that or is it actually because you know often performers are quite introverted people it's like when I talk to my son about performing. Now, my son is 15 and writes, you know, works as a yeah. as a songwriter and stuff. And I'm often, like, astounded by the fact that he has no qualms about getting up in front of 500 people and mm. singing his own very personal songs. Yeah. Whereas if I put him in a room with 20 kids his own age, he, you know, is really shy. Yeah. And I've, I've, I have often I said to him, how do you do that? And he goes, Mum, there is more space up there than anywhere else in the room. And I'm like, I think I get that. However, they're so all that looking at he's... you. <laughs> he, feels, he feels more comfortable up there than he does with the 500 people looking at him. Is, is, that, is that you? I mean, is that how yeah. it works for you? Yeah, because you're connecting with people but on your own terms, I guess, is what right. it is about performing. Yeah. This is, yeah, he's right. This is my space here and you're all invited in and these are the terms. Right. Whereas if you're in a room full of people, there's just so many variables, Yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so how, yeah. Does, how does that work then with putting yourself on a page and sending your writing out into the world in book form? Is it similar? Have I asked you a really hard question? That is a hard question. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's daunting and I think I just, what I do to not worry about that is I think to myself, no one's going to read this. <laughs> so, That's helpful. <laughs> it actually is helpful because then you kind of loosen up a bit. Do you know what I mean? If yeah. you think about people reading it, then you constantly worry about every single thing you're putting on the page. Yeah. Whereas if you just go... Don't worry about it. No one's going to read it. Um, you're just more inclined to do it. That's true. That's very true. So when it does come time to promote your work, what are some of the things that you're doing to kind of, you know, put yourself out there as an author and and to get your book out there? 
Uh, I'm pretty hopeless at that. Okay, good. Um, I guess it's because with music, it's so easy with music because all you have to do is you can take the product out and to people. Do you know what I mean? You yes. can take the song out and have people experiencing it in a room with you. Yeah. Whereas with books, it's such an interior thing. Like people experience a book so personally and it's, it's even their own voice as they're reading it. So even readings I find unusual. Right. Um, but what I've done with this one is so far, I've tried to just send it to people who might talk about it. Yeah. Because I know that word of mouth is a huge thing with books and yep. especially I think it's a good book for women and, you know, women are readers, they talk about books, they pass them on. So that's been my strategy so far. Okay. But I've you're also pushing myself though. You're on, like you do, I, I know you have a presence on Facebook um, because I see yes. you there and you do have a website. So you've put, you've, you've put some of the basic things in place because of your freelance writing, do you think? Like the, in the sense that you've set yourself up as a, with, a, with a writerly profile because of your freelance work? Yes, probably. Okay. Yeah. The other thing I do is at the end of all my articles that I have published online, I get them to put the tag in of Penny Flanagan has a novel out with right. a hyperlink. Okay. And is this the kind of thing that you – so is, is that something like is content marketing something that you'll think about doing for this book in the sense of perhaps writing articles around that, around that theme that we talked about like of, of women who are, you, who are taught to endure – Howl, as opposed to calling Hal out or you know make causing a fuss. We're all taught not to cause a fuss, yeah, right? Yeah. So, will you write articles around those sorts of you know related kind of yes topics? I've, yes, I've got a couple in the works that right. are all pitched around yeah what the what the novel's about. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Only asking you about it because is um, obviously that when our listeners are listening to these interviews, they're always trying to pick up as many tips as they can. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we always say is to use the skill, like think about what skills you have and how you can then use those to actually, um, you know, to get the word out of about your book, sometimes in quite creative ways. Like it's, it's it, you know, it's difficult, particularly um with with some books it's it's a very difficult thing to actually get people to talk about the book so you've got to think about what the book's about and what the story is that's attached to the book um and then figure out how you can get that message out okay here endeth the lesson now (laughs) (laughs) we all need that lesson i was just listening to myself rabbit on there sorry about that everyone um all right so you said that you've got a new idea for uh, a novel that you haven't started yet so you're not actually actively working on any other sort of uh creative writing at present no the only thing i'm doing is my articles i guess you would call i'm dipping in and out of the book idea when i have time I kind of just go, I'll just do a little bit of work on it. And I'm just kind of working on it very slowly, slowly catchy monkey so as not to frighten myself. It's such a huge undertaking to think I'm going to write a book. That, that you just book. talk yourself out of it. You yeah. just go, oh, it's too hard. And so I'm just going, okay, I'll just every now and then I'm just going to look at it, you know, put things down and, you know. I love the way Helen Garner wrote The Children's Bark where she just did little, um, she would just basically just write character things down. And then she taped them all together in a notebook and sort of it became a narrative. I think I'm taking that approach at the moment. Okay, that sounds like a good approach. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's finish up then with our with your top three tips for writers. Penny Flanagan, what have you got for us? Okay, my top three tips are things I'm not sticking to at the moment, but anyway. 
Um, it's okay. You just have to be able to say it. You don't have to do it. Uh, my top three tips are just do it. Just put something on the page. You know, don't be afraid of the blank page. Just put rubbish on the page. doesn't matter. Just If you just spend the morning putting rubbish on the page, there'll be something in there. Just do mm. it. Sit down and do it. Just write. Uh, my second tip is uh, same time every day. Right. Whatever, whatever time works for you, whatever time you find the muse visits you, you know, make a point, make an appointment with your muse because your muse, muse will show up if you do it at the same time every day because it's habit forming. Yeah. So every day, just write, even if you just write a paragraph, same time every day, sit down, do something. Um, and my third one is, uh, sorry. That's all right. I'd say have a plan. Okay. I'd say do some plotting, even if it's just a basic skeleton of how the character feels from one moment to the next, mm. from the front of the book to the end of the book. Even if it's just at the front of the book, the character is this, by the end of the book, the character is that. And just sort of a basic skeleton of how she's going to get from this to that. Fantastic. Just so have somewhere to go every day. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Penny Flanagan. You can have a look at Penny's website at pennyflanagan.com. And of course, her book, Surviving Hal, is out now. Go meet the odious man that we have been discussing. Um, <laughs> no, really do. And um, thank you very much and best of luck with it all. Thank you, Alison. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1, is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You only need a couple of hours a week and you'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course. Whether your goal is to write a bestseller or simply tell better stories, learn at home with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. Well, there you go. Penny Flanagan, great interview, Al. Well done. Yeah, I always um, – I love writing to people who write different things. Like I love yeah. writing to people who do, you know, and quite different things, so songwriting to novels and, and that kind of stuff. And I think that it's – because I think that what you learn from the short shorter form writing, different style of writing, and then take that into the, into the novels, I think it's um, – it's just always a really interesting thing. I, and I think it's part of what we talk about all the time with our interviews, which is listen to the ones who don't necessarily write within your area because mm. it's amazing what you pick up from listening to people who write things that you don't write. I, yes. I, I always think anyway, yeah. I think that that's super, super important. I definitely think if you write kids' books and you're only listening to kids' books authors, I mean I think you should listen to kids' books authors, of course, but you mm. should definitely be listening to even crime authors or romance mm. authors or literary authors of you know adult fiction because you can learn so much because it's otherwise you can get too stuck and too insular. So it's really good to go outside of your you know, comfort zone, not comfort zone, outside of your wheelhouse in order to um, get yourself exposed to other things that you might not consider or that you won't hear unless it's from somebody outside of your space. So, yeah, very, right. very important, very yeah. important.
So let's think what else is coming up uh, for us. Oh, I wanted to mention that we are launching very soon in a matter of weeks, probably even less, a fantastic course on dialogue writing. Now, this is ideal if you are writing, you know, for adults, you could be writing for young adults as well or children, but, um, and, but it's very much focused on if you really want your characters to be believable, if you really want them to be, for the reader to be engaged with them, they need to sound realistic and authentic and credible when they're speaking. And often you will get sort of pages and pages of of dialogue with and it you the reader just gets lost in it because there's mm. often too much dialogue mm. and sometimes it's actually too realistic because mm. if you actually wrote in the way normal people speak it can be very jarring and disjointed and fragmented so it's kind of like a version of reality that you need to be putting on the page mm. that still has all of those elements that make it real but aren't but it's not verbatim because if you just quoted people or characters verbatim as as if they were real people the reader would be pretty bored <laughs> because yeah. of all of the ums and pauses and the tangents and stuff like that you know, it's it's something that you really got to master, and I think that when you master dialogue, that brings your creative writing to a whole other level. So, if you should register your interest in the course, because there's going to be a special offer that's only ever um, offered at the launch of the course. Course, so go to writersender.com.au/dialogue in order to just put your name down, so that we'll send you a notification when it's ready. What do you think are your top challenges when it's when it comes to writing dialogue, Al? Well, I think it's the same as anybody's top challenge, which is basically not making sure that everyone doesn't sound the same. Like yeah. I think because it's you're 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 essentially it's all coming out of your head, and it's all essentially coming out of your head in your voice. But you also have to find that voice for your characters so that they don't all sound the same. And I think that that's actually more difficult. When you are writing characters who are similar either to you or similar in age or background or whatever, it's a yeah. lot more difficult to create really distinct character voices if you've got three women who all live in the same suburb, who all went to the same school, who all married bankers, mm. for instance. Like I don't know where I've randomly pulled that from. But um, those Probably are Probably Big of, Little Lies or, well, or possibly, a but, number but of the But I think that's also the thing to think about when you create when you mm. when you're working through your characters, if they are too similar, you, why are you bothering? Like and it's yeah. you know, unless there's gotta be some major difference in them somewhere. Um, and it's generally it needs to be the voice. Um, but your voice of your character comes from so many different things, like their background and their the way they look and their personality and the way they move through the world and all of those things all come into your character's point of view and so all come into your character's voice. And so, you know, those I think those are probably the most difficult things is just, you know, you know when you've found the voice that you want for your character because it feels it feels quite natural for them. And yes. sometimes what you need to do is write um, I think a really great tip for that is is always to to write some journal entries in your character's voice yes. because you in first person. Even if you're writing third person story, yeah, you'll find the voice of your character by writing some journal entries in their voice. Like what mm. happened to them today? Mm. Mm. Absolutely, very very important. So yeah, check that out at writercenter.com.au/dialogue. All right, so. 
What are you doing in the coming week out, apart from going to the Squibby Conference with me? Well, that's, I'm just focused on that, really. I'm just going to hang out with you at Squibby Conference and all Excellent. else just fades into the background. Excellent. Highlight of my week, too. All right, so where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Altate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You will find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, you will find all of the show notes at soyouwannabearwriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscenter.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.